Hello, and welcome to Regrets I've Had a Few. I'm Paul Hunter, Artistic Director of Told by an Idiot, and this is a podcast where I talk to friends and colleagues delving into what made them the person they are today. Hello. Um, uh, my, um, my guest this month joins me from Paris, and he is an actor, director, writer, and when I speak about him, I often hear myself saying, what this man doesn't know about physical comedy is not worth knowing. And I've been very lucky to work with him very recently uh, on our show, Charlie and Stan, which was an absolute delight. Welcome, Joss Huben. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. Go on, carry no, on. No, it's... Uh, <laughs> And now I have to ask, I may have asked you this in the last month or so when we were together, uh, Chaplin and Laurel, of course, the subject of our show, were either of those uh, uh, figures you encountered as a child? When you um, as a child, the first figures I encountered, I mean, I am from that era, I'm talking, I was a, I was a small kid in the 60s where the, I did not see these things on television. We were wheeled into a little parochial center with a big screen or in the school hall and we were shown movies. And the first ones that I was shown uh, of that ilk were Laurel and Hardy. And then later on, a bit later, I discovered Buster Keaton and that was a real, you know, I, I remember laughing a lot with the scene where they're both on a building site and Stan Laurel has a crap in his pants. That for me is an unforgettable and under, undeletable part of my childhood cinema memories, that. And, but then of course I saw almost by chance when I was much later, 12 or something, I saw The General by, by Buster Keaton. And that uh, stirred me, that really did something to me. I was already a very big fan of strip cartoons, you know, and bon dessiné, like they say in Belgium, and, uh, uh, um, and of anything that was humorous in drawing much more than, I've never been attracted really by, by uh, uh, although I use it, we use it all the time, wit and verbal humor. But um, uh, if, if I was impressed or if I enjoyed verbal humor, it was usually by characters that were very clownish, you yeah. know, and not clever, you know what I mean, yeah. uh, uh, knowing, but more. Uh, 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 uh. So, 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 yes, then, then at the same time that this happened, very curiously, I, um, I, uh, 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 I took up some dance classes when I was 14 or 15, because oh. I felt this need to move and these rhythms and, I, I was never going to be a dancer, but I loved dancing. So this is in my system. If you want something to do with physicality, timing, uh, uh, celebrating something, communicating something through that, yes. And it's interesting going right back to that period. So you, you say you took up dancing. Did you have any kind of theatre in your background? None, none, none. There was none. No, mm -hmm. nothing. There was no theatre for miles around where I grew up. Uh, and then there was some sort of cultural centre that was built. Uh, again, when I was a teenager and for theatre, you had to go through, well, you had to drive, I don't know, you had to drive uh, an hour to, to, to a city. I was taken once to a play. It did not interest me. Again, when I was 17 or 18, I saw in that cultural centre, just a small place next to where I grew up. This is a real deep mining area countryside east of belgium near the german border i saw 
a, a physical theater performance by two guys that came from Lecoq, Jay Geary and Luc de Smet. And that just, that was it. And then I, as it happened, one of them was teaching workshops at university when I went to uni. And uh, so it was just, it was just three little connection points. This could have not, this could have totally passed me by, you know, and I would be whatever I would be now. And then an Air Force pilot. But it's interesting. No, I'm a physical performer. (laughs) (laughs) But it's interesting that kind of, so often I talk to colleagues and how random those connections are. You know, I went to, to, to college and I was very reluctant to go where I went, but that's where I met Haley and John yes. Wright, and that's why I'm doing of what course. I'm doing. But I, I didn't want to no, be there no. initially because that, of course, once I was, uh, um, like I said, is this 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 has seized me. I was I was um, aroused and disturbed by this. So I was good at everything. I was university. I was studying languages and philosophy, but I could not possibly stay any longer, and. Um, uh, so I, 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 I quit and I said to my parents, I'm going to Paris and bless them forever. They say, well, if that was, makes you happy, you know, oh, that's and that's brilliant. what they did. And, and I felt guilty and I should have finished university. And then later I discovered that Gertrude Stein also said that she found university a bit boring. So I was in good company. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm going to ask this question because the title of this podcast is Regrets yes. I've Had a Few. And I never think of you as someone who would have any no. regrets. But I'm going to ask you, the fact that you didn't finish your university, you've never regretted uh, that at all? N- no, I have. Hang on. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a double-edged sword because, yes, of course, in the sense that my hunger and my desire to learn and to nourish myself intellectually has stayed with me forever. You should see the type of books I buy. I keep on buying and half-read and, and the, the stuff that I inform <laughs> myself with. And I have actually ended up, you know, uh, connecting with like a philosopher who I'm writing a book with right now. And uh, because I, I but 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 I I regret it. Um, I continued somehow this reading process and this 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 absorbing of knowledge. But I uh, yes, I regretted that somehow this went not a bit further or deeper, but I did not regret um, having left university and that. Uh, 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 I, I I never looked back, really. Not really, no. I yeah. I I, uh, yeah. I could have maybe done with a more concentrated four years, where you know. But then there you go. That that's just the way the cookie crumbles, you know. And uh, that's all, true. All the people just I have met, in... I would not have met, you know, like Simon McBurney. I would have missed mm-hmm. him, you know. So there you are, you know. Yeah. No, it's mm-hmm. true. The uh, time the time that you're there is the right time to be there. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 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 Now jumping around, you mentioned a book you're writing uh, with a philosopher. Can you tell us well, a bit about this is, that? All sounds very uh, uh, pompous and important, but it isn't, and it is not meant to be. I have a desire to write, in the sense that I like to uh, formulate words and thoughts and sentences and commit them to paper. Although I left, but I left my language area when I was nineteen, when I was twenty or twenty-one. Um, I'm not an eloquent. I'm an eloquent enough speaker and 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 and, uh, 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 and all that in French and English. But I'm not a good writer in those languages. I well, I never tried. I was especially in French. It's very forbidding. And when I also when I do radio interviews, the way the French talk and the way they construct thoughts through sentences is very intimidating. And I, I never. But I felt okay. I'm going to do this with someone. 
And I've proposed friends that are writers, but these are such solitary figures. They never, but then I, I, I started, about 10 years ago, I met a, I, I, no, no, 15 years ago, I met a, a friend of mine came to see one of the first Art of Laughters, and he, he gave me a few, he said, yes, he said, indeed. And he's a philosopher. He was then doing his PhD in philosophy, but he's a lighting designer in theater, so that's how I knew him. And uh, he said, yes, indeed. And he said a few sentences that I scribbled down and they become part of the opening speech of the Art of Laughter. We stayed in touch. He is now the one that I always work with when I uh, direct and create music theater or opera. And then we, I said, we, I want to do something with you. And he was very open to that. He's, he's somebody who likes dialogue. And then when lockdown happened, my first reaction is I must absolutely do something so that later I can say, I took advantage of that. I shall not be crushed by this or a victim. So we, I called him and, he, and we, just, we decided to, to dialogue for about an hour or two each week. He would write all that down and then little by little, he would start to write things out and a text was formed. And we ended up with 350 pages of Jos Christophe, Jos Christophe. And, and I said, okay, if we're gonna make this into a book, into a text, it has to be, I want to honor my Belgian roots. It has to be a piece of surrealism of Dada artists. This, if I'm gonna talk about yeah, laughter yeah. and philosophy, this cannot make sense on just one level. It needs to, it, we need to fall through the lines and end up on the wrong page and turn the book around so that <laughs> implicitly, implicitly, uh, uh, through paradox and misunderstanding, this book invites the reader to also think with us around these things rather than saying in a very you know, Cartesian way, here is this proposition and here's what we think about it. And this, this, we named this book Bergson's Dog after Bergson who wrote the famous essay on laughter. I think apart from a few like Baudelaire and Aristotle, the, the only philosopher who really actually paid any attention to that phenomenon. And he wrote an essay, a, a brief a, a text called On Laughter. And we invented a dog, that this philosopher had a dog, uh, and we call this Bergson's dog, <laughs> Le Chien de Bergson. And Bergson's dog is always behaving in such a way that invalidates his theories. And uh, uh, <laughs> because the dog is funny. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, so this had something to do with the man who thinks and the living thing that moves in a playful way. And it, there it is. It's, it's, going to be, uh, it's going to be published on the 3rd of February next year. And uh, um, then I'll... I'll ah, yeah, 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 absolutely. And there was even a, 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 a friend, another friend of mine that's... who was, a, who was a, a, a comic performer, a Belgian lady. She's a very good... Um, She's very good at drawing and she drew a little dog and that, that ended up on the front of the, of the book and the dog runs through the text, takes away a word, uh, uh, um, you know, causes me. Yeah, 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 so I had good fun doing that. So there um, it is. Yeah, I look forward to that. Now you mentioned Lecoq. So you found out about Lecoq from that performance that you saw with the yes. two guys, yeah? Yes, yes. And then do you remember, because I can vividly remember the first time I encountered Haley. Can you remember the first time you encountered Simon and Marcello? Uh, yes, I remember Simon, Simon and Marcello. I bumped into him. He came out of the school because they had class in the mornings and we had class in the afternoon. And because I, I'd like to show off my Italian, we chatted a bit. And he, I remember he gave me some advice. <laughs> <laughs> he gave me some advice. I have a very clear image of that. Just exactly what it is. And Simon uh, ended, Simon ended up this was sort of halfway through. I've already seen him perform because 
the second year presents stuff, the first year doesn't. And then he ended up renting uh, or hanging out in an apartment that we rented with six or seven, a whole bunch of first year students. He ended up living there. And so, so we shared, uh, uh, we became friends because we stayed in the same place, not because we're in the same school. And then he uh, came, okay. Okay. Then, 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 you know, we, we, Hannes Flashberger was around there. So he was doing Marceau school. We, you know, we ended up drinking cheap wine in the evenings and, 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 um, and becoming very close. And then uh, uh, um, when he left and started to play, uh, uh, I was not so close to Marcello then as well, but to Simon, yes. And then when he left for England and started complicity with Annabel Arden and Fiona Gordon, he said to me, when you're done with the second year, come to London. And I did, and that was it, that was it. It was, uh, um, so that, that is the real, I mean, there's, there's three things about the Lecoq School. One is, of course, the, the man himself and the teaching that now continues. Second is the, is the place, the very building, the very space in which you are invites something. In, it, it is such an amazingly aspiring place for movement and such a secret, it's such a charming and a historical place. So the space, so it's a very big space. And uh, so you learn to love taking the space. Yeah. Ah, and I teach there now. And each 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 Monday morning when I walk in there, it's very quiet. As you stand in the middle of it, and I go, I can't believe this is still unchanged since I was here in 1981. Yeah. You know, they put a few licks of paint and changed some windows. But that's yeah. basically the same place as it was in the turn of the century when it was a a, a, a place to you know a movement place for military officers. And the 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 the, the um and the third uh, really the the third real. Uh, 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 root of learning in Lecoq is the meeting with other people, you know, and uh, yeah. you're always collaborating, yeah. you're always collaborating, you're always collaborating, you're never on your own, never on your own. You do it with seven, with 11, with three, sometimes even with the whole class, 30, and you just come, and Lecoq's yeah. philosophy was the other one brings you out. You cannot bring yourself yeah. out of yourself. The other one provokes you, the, no. the other one makes you exist, you know, and if the other ones don't want to work with you, try and work with them. You know, uh, yeah. and that was a very, very, very powerful, uh, um, uh, um, very potent uh, three elements of that. Uh, uh, it's a context, it's an environment, it's a way of being, it's a way of uh, uh, um, um, connecting, provoking each other, searching, failing, yeah. searching, and not at all a linear teaching of here is a teacher and this is what, this is the knowledge I now transport over to your brains, you know. Uh, um, so, no, that's so. and that's and it's it's it, it's very interesting when you talk about those three things, and in a sense, it brings me to my next, well, not question, but kind of memory. Really, was the three of you, you, Marcello, and Simon, in a minute too late, mm. which is a very early complicite memory for me. Um, do you was that? Did that making that show? Did that feel like a, a natural extension from from the school, or oh, was it very absolutely. different? Absolutely, uh, 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 the show, the, the theme was based on mm. on uh, the theme came was proposed by Simon. Uh, he 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 had a few years or a year even before he came to the he had lost his father, and he wanted to make loss. A theme of a very funny show, which is a, a, an interesting uh, uh, proposition. And then 
and then um, uh, although they were in a year above me, we had as such not collaborated, uh, uh, creating material together. Simon and Marcello had, there were some sort of turbo street clown uh, duo and uh, they had already made a show with Fiona Gordon and they had already established a certain language. Um, but And with, but with Simon, of course, I had already had lots of uh, uh, sparring sessions and ideas and, and ways of thinking about what, how do you provoke a space with simple object? Remember, we just had some bricks on stage and, and we found, and I brought into that a, a stuff I had seen in Holland and in Belgium at that moment that was, as I said, quite Dadaistic, like the Mexican Sohont and and, and, and that, that did not exist in Britain. And I brought no. this kind of this desire to sort of not just deconstruct, but sort of Stanley knife the rules of theatres a bit and recompose yeah. them a bit and, and find more immediate ways to get there. And uh, uh, um, uh, so this, this uh, Flemish avant-garde that was already born by then <laughs> had, not, had not reached, gotten across uh, uh, the channel, but I, have, I was very, um, I was very uh, uh, how shall I say, influenced by that. Yeah. So, so as we started making things, we were quite, we just did them. We, there was very few questioning, actually. There were no question marks, really, in that creative process. There was nothing but uh, dot, dot, dots and exclamation marks. What if we did this? Oh, that might work. That's what we definitely what we're going to do. Now we're going to do this. Now we're going to do that. With the exterior, invaluable, of course, exterior eye and directing uh, 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 notes from Annabelle Arden, we made that show in a first, in a first mold. And then that thing just kept on being reworked and reworked and rebuilt all through the first tours. So it was constantly a process, yeah. But I remember also slightly after that, when we, uh, Haley and I were studying and John uh, said to us, we had to go uh, uh, to see, uh, uh, I didn't never, I'd never heard of him, but uh, uh, Nivad Haley and a group of us were sent by John to the Shaw Theatre to see an evening with Theatre de Complicita. Oh, of course, yes. And it yeah, kind of yeah. blew us away that, we hadn't really seen anything like that. This would be 1986 or yes. something. And then when the retrospective happened at the, where, with Pierre Aldi at the Almeida, um, we kind of hung out there because there was something about you lot that didn't look like actors. You looked like some crazy circus yes. rather than the actors that we'd seen before. Yes. So again, I'm sure that wasn't deliberate. It was just who you were, but it felt very different. Certainly felt very different at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And that, 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 we were, I, I had no, I'm sure Simon did, but Marcello and I had no connection, no, no idea what the British theatre scene was like or was supposed to, to be like. So we were just, yes, we were just these immigrant artists that, that made stuff and were very charmed and interested to meet all these other people that came to us. And, and say, and we looked so surprised well, and happy that way, we that... were doing what we were doing. So yeah, <laughs> we were quite naive in that sense. Well, we were very pleased and excited that you were doing your stuff. And the other thing, I suppose, that for me was a, obviously Complisto were a big influence on Told by an Idiot. But the I remember in 1981, I th no, 1991, in a field in uh, Holland, meeting Hamish and John when they were doing Flight to Finland. Yes. And that really, really uh, clicked for me. And obviously they, presumably you met them through Complicito. How did you meet 
Hamish and John? Well, the, they did. We did workshops, and we met Hamish and John do workshops in Oxford. We would spend a lot of time. Oh, oh, the first two or three shows were made literally in situ at the Oxford, at the Pegasus Theatre in Oxford, and we did workshops. And I'd met John and Hamish, and Michelino was part of Complicité, uh, and was my then partner. Had met them too, and they befriended each other, and they want to make a show. And by that time, uh, I was the strange thing happened. I went to to do theatre, more interested in a, a theatre of movement in the sense of, of contemporary dance, then as such thinking, I'm going to do funny stuff. Yeah. And, but I was, I was interested in it because it, it, um, it meant something to me. There was something about the, uh, uh, the engineering, the style, the art of it, uh, 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 much more than the, 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 the fact that, haha, we laugh with this. And then these guys said, oh, could, could you direct us in a show uh, and I say, uh, uh, but and I said, well, what is it about? He said, oh, we don't mind, we don't care, as long as it's funny. It has to be funny from the beginning to the end. <laughs> and that really, that really aroused. Literally, that they had no theme. Yeah. And I said, okay, well, let's put it somewhere. You know, it's in a, it happens in a park or on a boat. And we just made bits of material and sort of collaged them together like a Paul Klee uh, 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 painting like very naively, little bits, and then we found the through line. And that was then a, a new revelation for me that after complicity, and it's and, and, and the way already logically complicity through Simon and also Annabel Marcello's uh, direction, went to look for uh, theater and text and uh, other th and, and, and societal themes. I, I ended up in this world that was much more, again, yeah. was much yeah. more surreal, Dadaistic, uh, uh, but a sort of, but a sort of, uh, uh, I would not say an allergy, but a, but a suspicion of, of meaning presented as such, um, which brought me later. It was brought me later also to contemporary music theatre. Yeah. You know, the, 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 it was it was more a musical thing for me than actually a, a content thing. I also felt, if I look back at the the right size shows you know seminal shows for me like moose and uh, stop calling me vernon I, I always felt it, it drew as much not only on a european tradition but on a kind of british musical tradition as well and that kind of clashing of those traditions together for me i, I felt so satisfying was that deliberate oh yes that was deliberate. i wanted also you will remember in a minute too late there is a dance routine yeah uh, uh, all of a sudden in church we dance. I threw some of the, I threw some of these acrobatic rock and roll moves that sort of still hang around in my, by then already older body, uh, at them. And we did this routine. And I always, I said, there must be a moment. Again, it's always a musical thing with me. There must be some, some movement and dance and music. And then we said, okay, what if we actually wrote and, and invented. Um, so we got Johnny Hutch on board and we got Chris Lana on board who started to write songs and we, we learned steps or from Tobias Tuck or from Ryan Francois who came to, to teach us some swimmers because I've, I, two things were happening for me. One was that I was back into my, into my uh, uh, cartoon, uh, um, cartoon world yeah. uh, uh, in the Beano world. And another thing that was happening to me that I could also bring in 
uh, again, the absurdism a la um, Glenn Baxter, who was actually a fan of our show, Glenn Baxter, and uh, that, that, that refusal of, uh, or, 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 rather, or rather hiding sense in different places, you know, it's a hide and seek thing with sense. <laughs> and then we started to make, make uh, uh, these shows that were very visual, very pictorial, with song and dance, but just the way we did them within our limitations, because we were not dance, we were not singing. They, you know, we worked and worked, and they managed to pull this off because I felt that okay, there is character, there is a sense of surreal, nonsensical space. Why are we here? Why is this on a boat? What does it have to do with flying and with Finland? Yeah. Why is this show telling us not to call itself Vernon? <laughs> and uh, 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 and then within that, characters are in, characters are that are sort of strange, dreamlike fantasies, like just two people who appear in jokes. Yeah. You know, uh, like in "Stop Calling Me Vernon," uh, uh, or, 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 and then it's okay. There is this very eerie sense of character, and then all of a sudden. Through, through music or through a weird sense of magic, you add another level mm. to it. So it's constantly like a dream world. Yeah, no, and- And I continue to work like that with, with musical theater as well. I put layer upon layer and I, I, I cut through it again. And, 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 but it is always done with a sense of, of, of movement and music, always. And this kind of, you know, obviously a lot of the, your passion is, sits in that world and, and, and your directing work, obviously, as you say, in, in the world of music theatre, do you do you find that when you're do, do you miss performing when you're directing? Is it something that you? Yes, of course, of course. I I, I love directing. I love teaching. I love uh, acting. Um, I love. I also love doing things that I'm not that 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 I that, you know entering areas of, of or, or, or or activities that I you know university medical schools prisons areas where theatre sort of comes as a sort of surprise yeah. and uh, schools uh, so 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 uh, these were things uh, when I uh, what I am um, I love I miss acting but it has to be very very particular what I do it has to be utterly for me utterly satisfying and makes sense for me so it's very hard for me to be part of a show directed by a director and then go on a long tour with it yeah, yeah. i can only do that if like like we did with 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 brooks uh, fragments of beckett i could have done that again and again and again it kept on being a challenge to find yeah. the color and the sense of these strange again it's it's this absurd world of beckett where you constantly investigate like in front of the audience, you're in this laboratory of words where you go, well, if I say it like this, and if I say it like that, it seems the same, but it feels different. This is not a world they recognize. It's a world you need to invite them in. Yeah. Um, so I, I do like acting. I like performing, but I don't like to do the same thing for too long. And I go yeah. on long tours. I get my attention span is short. I'm hungry for the next thing. I. Uh, yeah. So, so that's it. So, um, uh, um, when I say directing, also it is always creating. You know. Yeah. No. No. And that. And that. Coming back to what you're saying about collaboration, that's the thing that I, 
I enjoyed so immensely when we when you were last with us working on Charlie and Stan was oh. the act of collaboration. It was utterly joyous for me to totally, have that totally. in, in the room. Totally. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, in yeah. terms of performing, and, and I suppose this is a, a, a hybrid of different things, you know, part lecture, part performance, but your Art of Laughter show, did you have any idea that it was going to become so successful? No, no, I, 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 I found something that I was not looking for. It yeah. was, uh, it started with Tom Morris then at the Batsy Arts Centre giving me a scratch, uh, you know, a sort of uh, an open evening, two nights. And I, 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 I had done these master classes all over the world when we were on tour with the British Council, with the right size. One thing was very clear to the guys from the right size, no teaching, nada, nix, nichevo. So I said, okay, I'll do the teaching part and I come to Malaysia with you, to Oman with you, whatever, to, to, to Ghana. And often I was asked, can you, can you sort of uh, uh, in, in two hours tell us, tell our sponsors or the local school that, or, or, the, or go to this and share with us what you're doing? So I did. I did, uh, and I had this little formula where I said, well, I have to make, this has to make sense. Then in Moscow, I did it, and then in Sarajevo, this has to make sense. I used a few students, if they were any good, uh, if they could follow this thing straight away. Um, I did some demonstration, I said, okay, uh, this thing is about comedy, of course, but it is certainly, first and foremost, about the body. Mm. And then I had to make this, this statement that it's the body, first of all, the permanent that we all share, whether we are in Senegal or whether we are in Thailand, we're all upright. And as soon as somebody stumbles, we go, we react. Ha, ha, ha. There is something about that yes. that, that this is about. Then we have a sense of timing. If I can, I can speak too fast or I can speak too slow, everybody knows what is the right flow of and I, I sort of squeezed into first three then two and in the end very four, even 20 minutes I said okay this is what I do in these workshops and then one day one somebody in Holland said this is fantastic this is so simple and and, and readable this could work for any audience I remember this so when Tom, Tom Morris invited me for this scratch I did it and it was verbose and long and I was staying at Hamish McCall's flat the house and I said, I have to be, I have to show more things and say less. Yeah. Um, so I then said, okay, I, I opened seven doors and in each of these seven doors, I do this routine and that's my key sentence, but I didn't have a way in and, and, and Hamish gave me the opening sentence. He says, I need a, a way to start this show. And he said, here it is. This show is about laughter. And right now there isn't any. <laughs> and that's, uh, uh, and that's, and then they laugh. And then I say, there it is. And this always works. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. And uh, uh, and and then then I had an I had this experience. I'd done it a few times, and then that was the English part of it. And then I did the same in French, and it's in France where it went whoosh. Ah, uh, okay. It exploded. I did it. Both Brooke had heard this when we did Beckett said, "Do it in my theater in the Bouffes du Nord." I did it there, and it went. It went ballistic. I was on the news. I was on the front page of the papers. The French, uh, something happened, which is more about the French than about me. Mm. It is It is so important for them, when they laugh, to be treated in a very intelligent way. Uh, um, and I did I did not see this coming, this, this thing. I'm still, I'm playing it every Sunday afternoon, twice. And they're there. This is an... On it's it's an on uh, how do you say it's a 
endless, there's an endless audience for this. Yeah. And they keep on coming. They just keep on coming. They just keep on coming. But that's France. Because when I do this, I did this in Edinburgh at a festival. I did it at, um, in London. I did it in, in New York. People come to you, so great show. Want a pint? That's it. <laughs> but in France, but in France, it's such a thing. Well, it's a, it's a brilliant thing. It's a remarkable. It's, it's, it's a very, very... Yeah, it's a brilliant thing. And thanks to Joseph Seelig and the Mind Festival. No, I did no, it. Yeah, it yeah, is yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Joss, it's been, as, as ever, brilliant to spend time with you. I hope we get to do that very <laughs> soon when we watch Charlie and Stan again. And I really hope... And we, Absolutely. We're going we're, we're we're going, going to we'll take the David train together. And us, we'll go up to see it. But I also... I've said this before, but I'm saying it live on the podcast. You have to come and work with Tom Benedict again because you are such a brilliant uh, imagination for us. So before we finish, Joss, I'm just going to ask you seven questions and you say the first thing that, that comes into your head as a response to these questions. Jacques Tati or Dario Fo? Jacques Tati. Fish and chips or moule and frites? Uh, fish and chips. Ice skating or skiing? None of those. <laughs> Directing or performing? <laughs> watching it, watching, uh, performing. Pirate or priest? Pirate. Moliere or Marivaux? Ah, hmm. No, I would say Marivaux. Double take or slow burn? Double take. Joss, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'll see you in the next few days in London. Yeah? Okay, thanks, Paul. That was wonderful. Okay, take care. Bye. Dear listeners, if you've enjoyed this idiot podcast, please keep it to yourself. <laughs>